From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 55. We've got an outfielder from Major League Baseball for today's guest, and I think it's going to be a really good one because he's one of the most well-read players in the game, whether it's talking about training and nutrition or skill development, recovery strategies, or his current rehabilitation approach. I think he's a really insightful guy that's going to share a lot of wisdom. He's also reinvented himself multiple times throughout his career, so he shares some stories about that that I think will benefit all players that may be struggling with adversity. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's an all-in-one superfood supplement with 75 whole food sourced ingredients to support your body's nutritional needs across five critical areas. Energy, immunity, gut health, hormonal support, and healthy aging. I'm an avid user of Athletic Greens myself in spite of the fact that I tend to be a supplement minimalist. To me, this is a product that is much more like whole food nutritional insurance as opposed to a true supplement. The ingredients have been carefully selected at the highest quality, most natural source. You've got essential vitamins and minerals, digestive enzymes, prebiotics, probiotics, and that's the zero compromise approach from the company. It's plant-based, sourced from whole foods at the highest quality, so you won't find harmful chemicals, artificial colors or flavors, preservatives, or added sugar. Um, really, it's perfect for folks who are gluten and dairy-free, paleo, keto, vegan-friendly, um, great for people who are intermittent fasting, all that fun stuff. Um, personally, I love it for, for obviously our athletes who don't get enough nutritional uh, benefits from fruits and vegetables because they don't eat enough. So it's a way to kind of plug in holes in diets. But also, I really like it for our college and professional athletes who may have complex travel schedules where quality food options aren't always at hand. Um, on a personal level, I'm a husband, father of three, and an entrepreneur. Um, we split our time between two states, and, and I'm also still an avid lifter. Um, so life is inherently crazy, and it can be stressful, and sleep deprivation is definitely something that we encounter. So I rely on Athletic Greens um, for part of my immune support and believe firmly that it's, it's made a big difference in keeping me healthy in spite of how crazy our lifestyle is. Um, they've got a great offer in place. If you head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, They'll get you 20 free travel packets with your purchase. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y, and you can claim your special offer. Today's guest is an outfielder who attended high school in San Jose, California, and was a standout football and baseball athlete. He was drafted by the New York Mets in the 31st round, but opted not to sign and instead attended Cal Poly for his college baseball. He batted 325 as a freshman and was named 2010 Big West Conference Freshman of the Year. Two years later, as a junior, he finished the season with a 346 batting average and led the league in home runs with 13 and RBIs with 64. He was named the 2012 Big West Conference Player of the Year and an All-American. Thereafter, he was selected by the Milwaukee Brewers as the 38th overall pick in the 2012 MLB Draft and played in the Arizona Fall League at the end of the 2013 season. At the trade deadline in 2014, he was traded to the Diamondbacks and he spent 2015 retooling his plate approach, and it led to a breakout 2016 where he was named Diamondbacks Minor League Player of the Year. He was also called up to the big leagues in August of 2016, recording a triple and three RBIs in his Major League debut. After the 2016 season, he was traded to the Mariners, and he became a big league regular in 2017. In 2018, he was named an All-Star and finished 11th in American League MVP voting. 
That year, he was a 6.1 war player as he hit 285 with 26 home runs and 93 RBIs in 157 games. In addition, he displayed excellent defense in the outfield and tied for the most outfield assists in all of baseball and for 10th in the AL with defensive run saves of five. He was one of only seven players in all of baseball to record at least 35 doubles, 25 home runs, 90 RBIs, and 70 walks in 2018. Please welcome to the show, Mitch Hanniger. Welcome to the show, Mitch. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This is going to be a good one. You know, I feel like normally I, we gravitate towards like guys we've trained at one of our facilities and I've never trained you. We, we met on the internet, in fact. Um, so this is going to be a, more of a get to know you session. And I, I think we'll, we'll, you know, pry in. I did do some homework before the show, so we won't be, uh, you know, working completely in the dark here. But one of the things that I want to start off with is, um, you know, uh, when I talked to Joey Wolf, a good friend of mine who, um, who trains you in the off season out there in Santa Cruz, he's an awesome dude. Um, he's like, you got to ask him about being a stud high school football player. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're on the street is that you put up some good numbers and that's, you know, that's not necessarily a big deal for most big leaguers, but you're a big leaguer from California. So multi-sport athletes aren't that common. Um, speak a little bit to what that experience meant for you. Was it hard to, to actually manage that with the, just the way schedules line up? And did you feel like you, you missed out on any baseball development or, or gain in other ways going through it? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I played, um, baseball, basketball, and football my freshman year of high school, and then just football and baseball the rest of high school, um, sophomore, junior, and senior year. And being a multi-sport athlete helped me a ton, especially growing up. I mean, I played everything growing up. I played roller hockey one year. I played soccer, football. I mean, I did everything I possibly could, and I think it just helps a ton for your athleticism. And um, playing football for me helped a ton just – learning how to prepare for a game, you know, they have one game a week where baseball you're playing every day. So there's just so much more that goes into that one game mm-hmm. and feeling prepared going into a game with done, doing your homework as far as, uh, you know, watching film on the opposing team, knowing what formations are going to come out in and what might lead to what. And I think um, I played receiver and safety in high school and um, being a receiver taught me a lot with, with footwork and route running. And, and I think that, carried over really well into the outfield. Um, you know, I've had to run into the wall multiple times throughout my <laughs> career and knowing how to take a hit and get right up as far as the, the physical pain and mental, um, you know, awareness and, and mindset you have to have to play football. I think that that really helped me throughout my career in college and now professionally. And I'm just a huge advocate of it. And I, I don't see, um, you know, narrowing down to only one sport until at the very earliest late in high school. You know, if not college, I think it's really important that guys play multiple sports. It's definitely a dying breed. Now, here's a, a question I'm curious about. So California is obviously a hotbed for athleticism. Did you play against some studs in your high school uh, football career? Or, or were you in a in a division where you weren't seeing a lot of the big dogs that we, we've seen come out of the state? Uh, no, we played against some good guys. Uh, I think my junior year, my, my senior class ahead of me had five or six guys go D1. Um, every, every team in our league, we're in the WCAL, um, and then the CCS in the Northern Division of California. I mean, we had, I played against a lot of really good, uh, a lot of really good football players, a lot of really good baseball players, and, um, it's a really good competition throughout high school. And I'm, I'm lucky and fortunate that I had the chance to be exposed at that age to play against good talent and prepare me for the future. 
I like it. And, and moving on from high school, you were recruited by, you know, quite a few of the big dogs. So I, I remember reading up on you. It was like Oregon. It was Cal State Fullerton. Uh, but you ultimately wound up at Cal Poly. So I'm, I'm curious, what was it about their program um, that appealed to you? I, I think a lot of guys always chase like the green grass, the pretty girls and the, mm-hmm. you know, the elaborate facilities and the big names. And, you know, Cal Poly obviously is a very respectable university, but you know, not necessarily known as a baseball powerhouse like those ones. So what was it about their, their program that appealed to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I wanted to get, um, away from home for sure. And, but not too far. And I really wanted to stay in California and San Luis Obispo is about three hours from where I grew up. So it was kind of the perfect mix. Um, really pretty school, great area, close to the beach. Um, and I wanted to, to go to a university that I couldn't have normally got into if it wasn't for baseball. You know, I wasn't, I didn't have the best grades in, in uh, high school. So I wanted to go to a school that, you know, if baseball didn't work out, at least would be able to fall back on a good degree. And, uh, the, I'd say the biggest selling point for me, uh, was when I was getting recruited by Cal Poly and, and a bunch of these other schools, uh, what really stood out to me is the head coach of Cal Poly, who's still there now, uh, coach Lee, coach Larry Lee. He, uh, said something to me that stuck with me and kind of made my decision really easily. He said, you know, if you want to play in the big leagues and you want to be a major league baseball player, no other school is going to prepare you like, like we are here at Cal Poly. I'm going to prepare you to play in the big leagues better than anyone else. And, um, ultimately like that was my dream and that kind of hit home for me. And, and, um, I, yeah, once I heard that, I was kind of like, I'm all in this, everything seems right. And, uh, worked out really well. And I love my time there. That's, that's intriguing. So what was it about, what was it there that prepared you to be a big leaguer as you look back on it or even in those early conversations, I, I assume you asked him to elaborate what that meant. Yeah. Okay. So one, th- one reason that really, uh, what goes along with that, what, what drew me to Cal Poly is, uh, you know, they weren't winning the Big West every year. They were always in the top half of the Big West playing against, uh, good schools in that conference. And the conference is, is still pretty strong. And one thing I would always see every year, I had an older brother, so I tracked a lot of his friends and a lot of, um, players around in my high school area who, who went off to college. And Cal Poly was getting like six to 12 guys drafted like every year when I was in high school. And they were up at the top of the Big West. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to a good school. I'm going to get play against some of the best competition on the West Coast. And they're getting a ton of guys drafted. Like what they must be doing a really good job at developing players or, mm-hmm. and they're still getting seen. So that was a, a huge reason why I wanted to go there and just the ability to help transform you into, you know, a big league hitter. You know, he, he was really good at teaching you mindset, teaching you play discipline, really good with swing mechanics. Um, and then just teaching all, all facets of the game. And I've, I learned a ton from him and my high school coach, uh, Bill Hutton. I was really fortunate to play from two really good baseball minds and, and they helped me a lot with my development. Did you, uh, do you find that there were a lot of pro guys that came back to Cal Poly to train in the off seasons or at least be near the baseball complexes or is it, is it not a school that necessarily draws that? I'm always curious about that stuff. Uh, so coach Lee was always so welcoming for guys to come down and hit and we would have a couple every year. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, guys that would get drafted after their junior year, you know, if they want to come back and do a quarter in the fall or, you know, for the next couple years after that, we'd always have guys kind of sprinkling in here and there. Mm -hmm. And, um, if you're not going to school at Cal Poly, it's kind of a little remote little place to go to. There's not, it's not a huge town. So a lot of guys, uh, who aren't from there will kind of go home if they're not in school. But, um, we did have a lot of guys come back Jimmy Van Ostrand, who's actually our mental skills coach last year with the Mariners. Um, he was there. I used to always pick his brain and, and talk to him and learn from him. And 
that was really beneficial for me. And I love it when universities are really open to having pro guys come back because it can only help your program. It can only help, you know, your young players assuming that they're going to want to ask you questions and learn from you. I always, I always tell guys, our high school kids, when they go on recruiting cruises, it's get a feel for how many of you know, the pro guys come back. You know, you obviously yeah. you've heard, you know, legends about all the guys that go back to Vanderbilt and, you know, I've seen it at Boston College. I know TCU has like a great crew that goes back there, um, you know, works out. And, you know, it says a lot when there aren't a whole bunch of guys that go back to their, their division one, you know, universities where, you know, in many cases they're these unbelievable facilities. So it's kind of like a good way to, to measure, you know, what players really thought about their college coaches, you know? Yeah. I completely agree. Now, you actually, you, you piqued my interest a second ago where you said you were a younger brother because I had a conversation with Aaron Judge like three or four weeks ago. He's a younger brother. I'm a younger brother. Younger brothers always seem to be the best athletes in the family. They, <laughs> now, how, how much older was your brother and did you get your, your butt absolutely kicked in the backyard growing up? Yeah, he was. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would kind of tag along with all him and his friends. And, yep. you know, we grew up, we played with a ball all the time. Yep. Like we made up games, we played, we used to sneak out to the tennis courts at night and play a game at the tennis courts, baseball game at the tennis courts. We used to play wiffle ball in our backyards, all that. I mean, ping pong, basketball, all these different games. And yeah, it was, that was the runt. And, um, I used to get picked on a lot and, and, uh, it was tough for me to hold my own, but I think it definitely helped because when I was started playing against competition that was my age, I felt just as prepared and also, <laughs> When you have older brother and older brother's friends, you got to get good at your uh, trash talk game. So that definitely helped too. It's like it's like playing up. You know, you hear about like yeah. uh, I remember yeah. stories about Pete Sampras. He used to lose in the twelves when he could have been winning like the sixteen and under. Or excuse me, losing in the sixteen and under when he could have been winning the twelves. It obviously worked out pretty well for him. So we need to like commission a study on on little brothers that made it to the big leagues. I'm, yeah. I'm sure it's a really high percentage. So, um, <laughs> all right. So one of the things that I thought was actually really interesting about your Cal Poly experience, and I was I was stalking you. So you know, I worked through your, your bio. Is that what was interesting? You came out and were were really really good as a freshman. So you dominated. Mm -hmm. um, I think you were like freshman player of the year in the conference whatever it may be and then you actually regressed as a sophomore so at least statistically your, your average went down 50 points and I'm curious you know what do you think it was and, and probably more importantly how did you write the ship because you you put up some really impressive numbers um you know in your junior year before you were drafted yeah I think uh sophomore year fell into some bad swing mechanics and I know we'll probably talk about that more yeah. um later in this podcast but um just for me the I was always taught to swing down on a ball and to stay on top and to, you know, kind of have that chopping type swing. And I just remember I would just pop up ball, like I'd have a bat or I'd pop up to the infield like multiple times. So I'd go to the cage and I just practice swinging down more and more and more, or I'd have games where I'm chopping balls off home plate. And I've always been good with hand. eye. I never really had a big strikeout problem. And, um, I had, a you know, at that time we used video a little bit at Cal Poly throughout coach Lee was great with that, but I had a really hard time of, we didn't, I didn't have a ton available in my work in my, you know, work in the cage BP on the field. And as well as like, I didn't have great um, body awareness at that age. And I think that's where nowadays there's so much about swing mechanics out there online and so much, so many guys teaching different things or getting really crazy and in depth with swing mechanics and I think it could be detrimental if not done correctly. But also when you're working with kids who might not be in control of their bodies yet, it's really difficult for them to grasp something you're trying to teach them that you would try to be teaching a 28, 29 year old big leaguer. Um, 
not to say you shouldn't work on your hitting mechanics. It's really important, but, um, you know, hitting a line drive to the back of the net, if you do that, you're going to be all right. And I think it's, there's a way to simplify it and have external, um, result that can kind of clean up your swing as opposed to trying to do a bunch of crazy stuff. But for me, I think it was just bad mechanics and not really having great body awareness. And so the next year I had a really good junior year and it was just more about learning more about my, myself and my swing and, and knowing what I wanted to do and kind of creating some different fields. I'm, I'm curious, obviously a school like Cal Poly, high academic institution, um, and you, you're, you're a super well-read guy, super bright, obviously have, have done a lot of studying with your, your own, you know, hitting mechanics, but also, you know, as we'll talk about probably in a little bit, like training, nutrition, all that stuff. I'm intrigued. Mm-hmm. Did, did you, were you a guy that, that almost, almost overanalyzed early on? Like I can see you being a person who would get, you know, domed up watching hours and hours of videos. Was that something that you maybe fought early on in your career and have learned to kind of figure out the right balance? Or was it something that you never got too bogged, bogged down in? I, I would say I learned that this year. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, this past year definitely didn't go as I wanted to. And I learned to not get overly concerned with mechanics because I, and that was kind of, it was kind of too late after I already got injured and the season was over. I kind of had that realization. I was like, wow, I was stressing way too much about my mechanics. I felt like I never felt right all year. Um, and I think it's really important just to have a good mindset going into your bats and, and have confidence and, and not get too technical with your swing. Cause at the end of the day, like when you're in games facing guys throwing upper nineties with three, four pitches, it's about competing. And it's not about, you know, your swing might not feel a hundred percent that day, but you need to get a hundred percent out of whatever you got. And, um, this year I definitely was, uh, focusing on a little too many different things and I'm happy I went through it. I think I learned a lot from, uh, the struggle this past season and I'm looking forward to getting back out there and, you know, having that, a new outlook on, um, you know, what's important and what not to, to overstress about and just to keep things a little more simple, I think. It's interesting as you, as you kind of like look at your statistics over a career, there were, it sounds like there were two big changes, right? There was the change between sophomore and junior year of college that, that led to you being a, you know, higher on draft pick and, you know, doing, uh, you know, well in college enough to get into that pro opportunity. But then, you know, you went to, uh, you struggled, it seems like in, uh, you know, basically 14, 15, and then retooled the swing again that if you actually go and look, you had the highest WRC plus in all of minor league baseball. So you basically were the best minor league hitter on the planet in 2016. I'm curious what happened between 15 and, and 16. What was the biggest change? Like, was there an, an aha moment or was it getting back to some of the stuff you had learned in college that you maybe gotten away from? Uh, no, huge, huge aha moment for me. Um, I remember it all kind of goes back to, I was backing up a spring training game. Um, we were on the bus back from the game and I was with the Diamondbacks at the time. This was in camp in, um, I was in minor league camp, but I was back in a big league game. We're on a bus. Uh, AJ Pollock and Nick Ahmed were sitting like across the aisle from me and they were just looking at swing mechanics on their phone and talking about all these different things. And I was just kind of being, you know, the creep, like eavesdropping on them. <laughs> and at, like after a couple of minutes, I asked them, I was like, Hey guys, sorry for interrupting you. Cause they didn't, they had no idea who I was. I was like, what are you talking about? And like, who, who's this guy you keep on talking about? And so like, Oh, no worries, man. Um, Bobby Tewksbury, like look him up. He's got a, an ebook on swing mechanics. So that night I go online and I see, I start reading and listening to Bobby Tewksbury talk about swing mechanics. I buy his book and then spring training ends. I go to double a, um, and I read through his book a couple times and I'm like, what the heck, man? Like, why doesn't, why have I not heard this till now? And just the way he broke down the swing made so much sense to me. 
it, it just was more logical. I, I think I'm pretty, I try to th- keep things simple and very logical. And it made a lot of sense. Like why it goes back to what I was talking about my sophomore year. I kept swinging down on the baseball, down on the baseball. And all I was doing was popping up and chopping it. And I couldn't hit the ball the other way. I had all these swing flaws and he kind of, I was like, that's, he was describing certain hitters. I was like, that's me. And this is what I need to do to fix it. Mm-hmm. So I was in double A with the Diamondbacks at that time. And I wasn't uh, really playing. I had just gotten traded over the year before from the Brewers. Um, and I was just, I was riding the bench. I actually, I was asking to be sent down for more playing time. They said, no, I asked for my release. They said, no. And finally, um, I was working on all this stuff in the cage. And then finally we got another outfielder in a trade and I asked to get sent down again. And they were like, yeah. So they sent me down at the all-star break in the minor league all-star break. I went down to high A and I just said, you know, screw it. I'm, I'm doing a leg kick and I'm going to do everything that, you know, what I've learned about in this book from Bobby Tewksbury and I'm just going to roll with it. And luckily I had instant success. I think the first game in high A went five for six, like almost hit for the cycle. Like it was great. And I was like, Oh, I'm all in. This is going to be huge. And since then my career kind of took off and I, I hit really well in 15 in high A until I broke my hammock. I went into that off season and I worked with a hitting coach named Matt Lyle, who's yeah. um, local in the Bay area and um, kind of came to him with a plan saying, this is what I want to fix. This is what I want to improve. And he kind of offered me his advice and we put my swing together and I went into 16 feeling really good. And I had a great year and ended up getting called up that year. And um, yeah, it's been, that was a huge change for me. That's awesome. No, I thought you got two podcast uh, former guests of ours, AJ Pollock and Tewksbury, have both been on. Nice. So, yeah. nice little shout outs. I know it's good to know I'm headed in the right direction, but you know, there's like a, there's like a, a, a hidden message there in like mentorship. You know what I mean? Like AJ is obviously one of the absolute nicest dudes on the planet. I know, uh, yeah. you know, Ahmed is, is a great guy as well. Like those guys very well easily could have told you to go screw. Like, and, exactly. and th- there have been times when, when veterans have done that in professional baseball and that, that bus ride changed your career, you know? So yeah. there's something to be said about paying it forward and all that. I, I'm actually really intrigued. Obviously, you've 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 dealt with Bobby. You mentioned Matt. I know you've dealt with some other big time hitting coaches. Um, you know, as you've you've kind of worked your way in, into being a really student of the game. What are some of the commonalities that you've seen? You know, among the elite hitting coaches that you interact with, because we know that there's you know there's debates on you know internal versus external focus cues. There's debates on you know how much guys should actually fail in BP. Um, right. you know, or just prep work. Like, have you found commonalities, certain stuff that's worked best for you when you've dealt with different people? Yeah, I've worked with, um, a lot of different hitting coaches over the last couple of years. Cause just for me, I, I try to learn as much as possible. Um, and, but I think that's really important to kind of filter everything you hear and try to do what makes sense for yourself. And obviously there's going to be some, um, failure in there. And I think that's what you need to learn from and figure out what, what works best. And, um, uh, the biggest commonality is, is about just keeping your barrel in the zone as long as possible and getting into a position to where you're set up to be able to cover multiple speeds in multiple spots. Um, that being said, I mean, if you're a younger hitter, or you've been early on in your prof- professional career and even in the big leagues, you have to be able to hit a fastball. You have to be able to hit velocity. So being prepared to hit a fastball is, um, the most important thing. And if, you can't hit velocity. You better get on a machine and learn how to, because nowadays guys are throwing harder and harder. And, um, I'd say the biggest thing from everyone, everyone talks about is getting into a balanced position and getting your barrel in the zone early and being able to stay long through it. Absolutely. So 
the other thing is, as I researched you more and more online, the thing that kept coming up was how prepared you are and what a student of the game you become. Um, where did that originate? And, you know, and obviously right now I know you're going through a tough rehab um, from a sports hernia and a disc surgery in your back. Um, talk to me a little bit about where that, you know, kind of preparation originated and what it means for your day-to-day preparation, both in terms of rehab, nutrition, training, and, you know, and pregame prep. Uh, yeah, like I said earlier, just I think – Playing for a lot of really good coaches has helped a ton, and um, I think I take it, they've always preached being a complete player and taking pride in in uh, every part of the game. And um, for me, I think a lot of it comes to down to confidence, and I feel most confident when I put in all the work and I've done everything that that I can do to set my self set myself up for success. Sorry, um, and I think that that's that's really important. And for me, um, the first couple years in the big leagues. I was fortunate enough to play with some players who um, have been around the game for a while and I'm a big believer that success leaves clues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm always reading um, stuff about successful people. I'm watching, I love watching interviews about, you know, whether it's a UFC fighter who's having a lot of success, whether it's a basketball player trying to pick apart their game, what they do that makes them good and apply it to myself and and just trying to be a learner and and learn and, and um, soak up as much info as I can and, and learn how to apply it to myself. I like that. What was the biggest adjustment for you when you, when you went to the big leagues? Obviously you went up after that, that crazy 2016 season. Um, did you, did you find a, a big adjustment, you know, just in the level of competition from, you know, double and triple A up to the big leagues, or was it the kind of thing where you had so much confidence in your swing that it felt like a smooth transition? Um, in 16, I felt like when I got called up, um, I had a f- good first couple games and I hit a cold streak and in my time in Arizona, I would never, I didn't feel, um, too great swing wise. So I didn't play that well. And I was kind of playing sporadically, but then the next year I, with the Mariners, I played every day and I'd say the biggest thing, yeah, there's definitely a jump. Like anybody who tells you there's not a jump between AAA and the big leagues is a complete lie. Like the best players in the world are at the big league level and the minor leagues are the minor leagues. So <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there's so many guys every year that are unbelievable in the minor leagues and they get called up and they can never make it for some reason. Mm-hmm. And some of that is because the competition is completely different. The best in the world is in the big leagues where, you know, you're not, you're seeing good, you're seeing good arms in triple A and double A, but it's not the best in the world. And I think, uh, but that, that's also going back of like when you're, when you're playing against these, um, a really good competition, like the good players, your, your talent rises as well. So, once you start seeing all these really good arms in the big leagues, like your eyes get adjusted and you know, you just got to keep working hard in the cage and working hard doing your video stuff and, and be able to um, adjust. I think like you, everybody always says that the game's about small adjustments and um, I did notice a difference, but I didn't, I never felt like I was completely overwhelmed. I like that. And this is an exact quote from Joey Wolf. He said, Mitch controls the controllables better than any player I've ever met. Uh, Let's talk more about that. What What is it that you feel like you control really well that maybe other players struggle with? Obviously, you talked about your preparation, the time you put in there. Where, where else do you feel like you, you know, from a mental standpoint, handle yourself best? Yeah. Uh, shout out to Joey, man. He's been a huge <laughs> help for me the past couple of years and um, being able to learn with him and work with him. And, you know, he's been helping me with my swing, too, kind of putting all the pieces together. Yeah. Um, it's been great. I, I would say just over the past couple of years, um, I've had a lot of crazy injuries and I had a hard path getting to the big leagues. And, um, I think when you're going through a hard time or when bad things kind of keep happening to you, um, it's easy to like 
play the victim. But I think it always goes back to, for me, it's like, why am I going to worry about something that I have no control over? Why am I going to make a bigger deal about something that I can't affect the outcome? So for instance, for me right now, just being hurt and going through my rehab, all I can focus on right now is making sure I'm eating good, making sure I'm sleeping good, making sure I'm taking care of my body, doing my recovery stuff, doing my exercises and everything else I can't control. I can't control how long this is going to take to heal other than doing those things that should help it speed up and should help it, you know, go on the faster end as opposed to me eating Doritos and drinking soda every night, you know, like those things will definitely play into my recovery. And I'm a big believer in that and big believer of taking care of your body because in any, um, in any sport, you you don't know how long your window is going to be. And I've always kind of had that I'm all in mindset and I'm going to try to make this as long as I can possibly play. And I want to do everything in my power to, so when I'm done playing, I can look back and say I did it the right way. And hopefully um, there's some younger guys that are, you know, watch me how I go about my business and um, I help them. And I, you know, I show, I lead them and show them a good example. Cause I've had a lot of those guys throughout my career that I've looked up to that have, Show me the right way that I've learned from. And I'm just hoping that I can be that for someone else. I feel like you're, that's an especially timely message, right? You know, like I think it was as of today, 87% of, uh, of America is basically shelter in place or locked down. And you know, you, you have it as a double whammy because you're rehabbing and there's not a ton that you can necessarily do right now because you're, you know, you're right. only seven weeks post-op. So, you know, uh, this will obviously come out a couple weeks after that, but it's going to be the, the similar situation nationwide. So, I think we see a lot of kids right now that are, you know, they're acting like kids, like they're, they're watching movies and playing video games and there's a place for that stuff, but I'm not sure they're realizing like the power of listening to a book or, or sorry, listening, oh, yeah. listening to a podcast or listening or reading a book, something like that. Yeah. Um, are you a guy that's always got that, that book in, in, in the works? Are you always, you know, crushing yeah. podcasts yeah. on nutrition oh, yeah. everything? What's your, uh, what's your current flavor? What are you, what are you reading on the most right now? So I, been getting more and more into reading, actually reading books. Um, that's something that I always hated growing up, but I feel like through diet, through meditation, through good sleep, my ability to focus has gotten a lot better. And I think that, um, to me taking that, that time for stillness where I sit down and force myself to read a book, because to me to do that for a long period of time can be very diff- difficult, but I think I'm like training my attention, training my focus by doing that. And also I'm learning a ton from, you know, the material I'm reading. I'm a huge fan of um, stoicism, like Ryan Holiday type stuff. That's where a lot of my mindset stuff originates from, just trying to focus on what I can control and not worrying about anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I love – there's a ton of different books that I've gotten into. I love the biohacking uh, stuff yeah. with nutrition and sleep and love Dave Asprey. Um, you know, Mindset, Carolyn Dweck is a great one. There's Chopwood Carry Water is a great book. and. Lately, I've been doing a lot of reading and research on breathing and different breathing techniques that kind of go along with meditation. That's really helped me through injuries, really helped me um, just having awareness of whether how my body's feeling, mm-hmm. where my mind's going, and knowing how to tune into certain things and check out of others and, mm-hmm. and knowing, you know, okay, if I'm feeling anxious today, why is that? Notice that thought and then do a breathing exercise or or kind of face that in, in work through something I need to work through, but it's been, it's been a huge help for me. And I think to me, I have that mindset and I've kind of realized that it's not the masses don't have that mindset where I'm always trying to learn. I'm always trying to improve. And I, I just, it's hard for me to kind of relate to why 
you know, why wouldn't you be trying to, um, I'm a huge fan of all self-improvement type stuff. Like we, you know, we were talking about slight, uh, sleep, diet, training, yeah. uh, happiness, all these different things. Cause I'm like, why wouldn't you be trying to get, um, in better shape or feel better or happier? It just, to me, it doesn't really, I don't really, I can't wrap my head around like, why wouldn't you be trying to live more of life and like experience things to the fullest. Right. Um, yeah. and I think any, anything I can learn to help myself as well as the people around me can, I think that brings me a lot of happiness and joy. So I think it's also interesting too. Like, um, you know, I was joking with Tim Collins. Uh, Tim's one of our longtime athletes and he was on the podcast not long ago. And we were talking about just like the concept of mental skills. And like, if you had told Timmy at 21 that he would like be like close friends with the mental skills guy from the organization, he would have totally rolled his eyes and like, he's gone to free agency and he's like, that's one of the questions he asked now is like, who's the mental skills guy? What's the background, all this yeah. stuff. And you even alluded to it earlier. Like, is that something that you've taken advantage of in the organizations you've been in? Or is it something where you feel like you're, you're pretty well read on your own and you know, you have a pretty good situation in place. Um, yeah, I, um, I had a really good mental skills coach, um, my first two years in, um, Seattle, Darren McMains. He's now with the giants. He was great. And then, Jimmy Van Offstern was awesome. Um, now he's with the Blue Jays. Um, but I actually, I, I go through someone outside of the team yeah. and I talk, um, mental skills stuff throughout, throughout outside the team. And she's phenomenal for me and has helped me a ton. And, um, you know, whether you're going through someone inside or outside, I think it's really important though, because no matter how good you are, no matter how strong you think you are mentally, I think there's always room for improvement. Mm -hmm. And, um, for me, that's always an area where I'm trying to improve. Are you, uh, um, in terms of, we were just talking preparation, so I'm, I'm interested. What's, what's a day look like for you? If it's a seven o'clock game, what's your day look like? When do you get to the park? And then what's your routine just going into the start of the game? Okay. So for me, when I'm playing, I, um, uh, I love getting the field super early because I hate feeling rushed. I love feeling like I have a lot of time. So I typically get to the field around one o'clock for a seven o'clock home game and I'll take you through like a home session. So, um, 1 PM, get there kind of hang out, talk to my teammates for, you know, usually there's a couple guys there. Um, then I'll get changed, go to the weight room, go through a big mobility rollout session, get my body loose. Um, if I'm, I don't lift every single day, but most days I'm doing something in the weight room mm -hmm. as far as lifting goes. So I'll go through a lift. Um, sometimes I'll be anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes, just depending on what I'm doing that day. Um, then I go down and I hit in the cage um, do my hitting routine in the cage. Then I get, I go and get my lunch. So in Seattle, we're really lucky. We have a couple chefs that are awesome. So I'll, I'll get like a huge veggie bowl with, um, with steak or chicken or whatever I feel like. And I go bring that down to the video room and eat my, usually I'm eating my lunch while I'm watching the video on the, the opposing starting pitcher mm -hmm. and going through some of their bullpen guys. After that, we usually have a hitters meeting. Then we go to BP, go through the whole BP come in, uh, get another meal, make a big veggie smoothie shake with a whole bunch of stuff in it. Everybody tells me it's disgusting, but <laughs> I'm convinced what fuels your body matters. So you got to, you know, take care of yourself the right way. Um, I do a bunch of, oh, so even before, I'm sorry, even before um, BP, I usually go through like a 10 minute meditation. We have a sleep room. So I'll do like a little bit of, I'll do a meditation and a visualization, go to BP, then uh, after eat, get ready for the game around 6.20, get full uni, go to the training room, do my stuff, go take a couple rounds of flips in the cage, and then head out around um, 6.50 to do my stretch 20 minutes before the game, 
anthem comes on about 10 minutes before the game, and then I'm in the dugout getting ready with my teammates, and then the game starts. There it is, man. Routine. Sorry, sorry if that was really descriptive, but yeah, I mean, I got it That's pretty good. much down to like, <laughs> I got it down to the minute. People think I'm a weirdo, but I've, I love, I that, love routine. I love it being the same every day. I feel like nothing, um, surprises me and I want, I want it to feel like that. Uh, I, I think that's super important. Like I, and, and it's, it's an important thing that has to be reiterated because the, you're not alone. There are a lot of guys that are like that, particularly starting pitchers on the day of starts. Like, yeah, I remember talking to Schilling back in the day. I know Kluber is very routine. I know Kershaw is very routine. Like there's, there are guys that are, that are locked into the, to the second. It seems like one of the things that I thought was actually really interesting too is, um, Back in your, your kind of your career, your 2018, you were an all-star and you put up some impressive numbers. You were a 6.1 war player. One of the things that I thought was an interesting aside that didn't probably get enough attention was that you, you actually tied for most outfield assists in all of baseball and you, you had five defensive run saves, which, you know, puts you at, at basically 10th place in the American League, which is a, heck of a stat line. So a lot of times when you hear a guy putting up great offensive numbers, sometimes the defensive metrics, you know, are an afterthought. Um, but you obviously take a lot of pride in them and you played all three outfield positions. I know you even alluded to it when you're talking about your, your background as a receiver. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about like defensive prep, but also, you know, taking pride in being able to play all different positions. Which one has been the hardest for you to, to play, um, historically? Um, fill me in a little bit. Yeah. Um, I've played the majority in the big leagues. I played majority right. Mm-hmm. Um, I love center field as well. I've played a good amount of center field and I'd say, the one I've played the least amount in my entire life is left. Um, I have a pretty strong arm and I love throwing guys out. So I've always played center or right. And, um, I, I just, I think it's really important that you focus on being a complete player because for me, I hate losing. So if I can prevent runs, that's going to help my team win. I need to take pride in that. I need to get better at throwing guys out you know, making outfield catches, fielding balls or whatever it may be back in bases up um, because I don't want to lose. I want to win the game and preventing runs and scoring runs is how you win games. And everybody, you know, loves to hit home runs and, and hit for extra base hits and have RBIs and all those things. But being a complete player is really important. And I think if you're not focusing on getting better defensively, in my opinion, I think you're being a bad teammate mm-hmm. because if you're not focusing on improving in an area, you're hurting the team. So you're being a bad teammate. For me, it's like if I'm not focusing on my defensive skills just as much as I focus on my hitting, then I'm not doing my teammates, you know, I'm doing them a disservice. So for me, it goes back to that. Like I'm, I'm trying to get as best as I can trying to be as best as I can in base running, hitting and fielding. I like it. All right. So we always, we always wrap up podcasts with the lightning round. Um, so this is basically a quick question for me and you can be as detailed as you want with your responses. So, um, number one, what hitters do you like to watch and uh, learn from and why? Oh uh, man, Jim, how many, how much time we have? Like I said, you, I go, you can go off the rails, like, uh, man. Everything's fair game. I got a lot of guys, JD Martinez, Justin Turner, um, back in the day, like David Ortiz, Pedroia, um, man, Cano, there's, there's a lot, but uh, yeah, I just, I'm a, I love watching guys swing. I like it. Well, and so we'll build on that favorite teammate of all time and why favorite teammate of all time. I'm going to go back to a guy I played in minor league baseball with his name is Brent Dean. He's a catcher. And I would say Dean would, so I played with him in uh 2013 and he was put on the phantom Dale in the minor leagues. 
you know, they can throw you on the DL and you're not actually hurt. It's just like a weird thing they can do. And this guy showed up to the field every day early and was the best teammate I ever had. Brought a great attitude, worked his, worked his butt off every day. And, you know, he, for some part of the year, he wasn't even on, you know, the active roster. And just to see that, I was like, well, that was kind of inspiring to me. I'm like, this guy's like busting his butt every day and he can't even play tonight. Um, and I think that have playing with guys like that and trying to emulate that makes people better around you. And I know he made me better by, you know, seeing that. So, um, that's the guy that stuck out for me the most. I like that. All right. So we, we talked about how you're a book nerd. Give me a, give me a must read book for every up and coming athlete, regardless of sport. Obstacle is the way by Ryan Holiday. Nice. All right. And now, uh, Talk to me a little bit about advice for a teenage Mitch Hanniger. If you could go back in time to six, 16 year old, year old you, what would it be? Uh, keep working hard and uh, stay in your step. You know, don't like, I mean, we talked about a lot. Don't worry about external things and just focus on what you do need to get better every day and just, you know, keep pounding the pavement and doing what you need to improve. And then in addition to kind of the players and the parents that, that listen to this podcast, we obviously get a ton of coaches. Um, so I'm curious, you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier about some of the coaches and the commonalities you've seen. When you look back on all the coaches that have been able to help you versus the ones that maybe, you know, didn't necessarily lead you right down the right path, um, what, are the, what are the things that they had in common? Is there a certain trait that you look for in a coach that is most impactful for you? I think for me the most impactful coaches knew that um, – they were trying to make you a better person as well and make, and you know, like it's not all about, it's about making you a better athlete without a doubt, but also trying to like give you some advice and give you some learning tools to make you a better person for the rest of your life. And my, the best coaches I've had actually cared about you as a person and they pushed you uh, really hard and they also had empathy and they knew how hard sports can be. And I think a lot of times, uh, and I'm guilty of this as well. Like, you know, you're, you look over someone's struggling and you're like, come on, man, work harder, do this. And I do that with myself a lot. So, but having empathy and knowing like, Hey man, this is hard. Like going through a slump hitting is very difficult. Like it's okay. You're going to get out of it. Everything's going to be all right. And I think the the best guys I've had have been, been able to be like, you know, it's okay. Like let's, let's keep it simple. Let's not And that, you know, like we've talked about a lot in this podcast, the mental side of the game is extremely important. That's awesome. All right. Well, folks can find you on both Twitter and Instagram. It's M underscore Hanny 17. You're a, you're a pretty good social media guy. Always putting out good content. Um, Mitch, this is awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah. Thank you, man. I had a great time. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP elite baseball development podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.